0: What is a preneur, you might ask? A preneur is a new breed of solar pro that is willing to do whatever it takes to achieve mastery, and you are about to become one. What's going on, solopreneurs? I am super excited for this episode. We have a live episode in the studio. I always love doing it with live guests because I think I get more out of it and more connection with the guests. And I'm super excited because we have our second lady, second girl rep coming on the show. I don't, know, I don't know if you guys like it, like female, girls, lady, whatever. Um, but any, we, any works. Any works, okay. <laughs> so we've got Alex Hogan-Hall on the show here live in the studio. Alex, thanks for coming out today and coming on the show.
1: Yeah, of course, Taylor. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, it'll be super fun. And she's uh, hopefully moving out here soon, but you're right now. You're commuting from Utah, working with the team, right?
1: Yes, sir. Yep, back and forth, Utah yeah. to California.
0: You getting sick of that uh that plane ride yet, or you guys like riding in the plane?
1: Oh, my gosh. I feel like everyone at Delta probably has to know me by now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I bet. <did. laughs> it's the same flight every week.
0: Yeah, is it like, do you see like the same pilots and like flight attendants and stuff, or does that oh, yeah. change every name? Yeah, I yeah. see
1: the same like Utah-based crew, I feel like, every time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Well, that's cool. And um, so for those that don't know Alex, she right now is the, uh, you might have to help me a little bit, but you're CMO, right? Yeah. At, uh,
1: Yep. I'm a chief marketing officer and chairman of the board for True Power.
0: Okay. True Power. And Alex, she has a ton of experience. We were just talking a little bit before the show and she gave me the whole, you know, kind of rundown of everything she's done, all the experiences she's had, and um, she's done a ton of awesome stuff. So um, Alex, do you want to give us kind of like the rundown for those who don't know you, how you got into the industry, how you got into door-to-door, and um, I guess how you got into the position that you're at now too?
1: Yeah, sure. Cool. So, um, so I got started in the industry back in 2015. I had just finished up college with a degree in marine biology, and I was just loved the environment. I was super, you know, pro hippie fixing fixing climate change. So, couldn't find a job in marine bio, so I applied to this position to knock doors and sell solar. Because so I was like, look, I can do this for a petition signing or something. It's going to be easy to get paid. Um, so I tried it out. I was one of the first, uh, direct training classes over at Trinity solar out in New Jersey, um, back in, I think spring of 2015. And at the time we really didn't have much, you know, training in place, support systems. It was still very new to the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was one of the first female sales reps they brought on board. I had to like make my own <laughs> polos with the logo on it and stuff, um, at the time. So yeah, just start now. And I, uh, Didn't have any sales background or anything. Didn't think I'd ever get into sales, but I, you know, did pretty well. I am a super hard worker, so I just went straight into, um, you know, knocking every day, making sure I was working the hours, and I did pretty well. I was doing about five or six a month and was able to pay off all of my student loans within the first year. I was able to uh, get my first uh, apartment with some friends. I was able to get my first car. So pretty much everything I wanted at 22, (laughs) just getting all that stuff covered. It's a dream. Yeah. And so I enjoyed what I was doing, um, but I was starting to think about getting back into marine biology. This was about nine months to a year later. And the director of sales and I kind of sat down before I was looking to leave and they offered me a role to come in and kind of just use the little bit of experience I had out in the field, understanding kind of what the field was going through to start building out their support systems. So, that's covering anything with onboarding, what does our recruiting process look like, what do our competitions look like, what's our training, our marketing materials, kind of you name it, and that was kind of the stuff that I got into. And the way that I did it was mostly like, you know, figuring out what problems existed in the org that I could come in and solve and uh, and just kind of figuring out where my hard work could get put into place. And when you don't really have a skill set built out for something like that, a lot of what you're going to be able to do that's unique is provide value through your hard work. So I worked my butt off, worked really late hours, kind of whatever I needed to do to start getting that off the ground. And within, I'd say two years, I was managing a team and then took a director position at Trinity over uh, all of sales admin and then also recruiting.
0: Nice. That's cool. Was there a lot of like, was there a lot of girls at the time? Were you like, were you like the only one coming into the office? So our,
1: we, our office staff was a little bit heavier on the female side, lots in our um, different support departments, um, okay. but I was our first and only female director, youngest director. So yeah, not not at quite as much at the leadership level on the sales side for sure. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And so that's kind of where I grew into my director level self, <laughs> I guess. And then um, I transitioned into working with Legacy, uh, built out the Setter Closer model over there. Again, I'm very heavy on like building out the systems, kind of the back end stuff, making everything work. Um, And then uh, after working at Legacy for a while, transitioned over into Vivint Solar and took on a role managing the sales marketing department there under Jason Delstra. And uh, that was probably my most fun part of the career before branched out into consulting. I loved, you know, we had this big $5 million budget. I had a huge team. We were very heavy on the culture and that's kind of where I realized how unique and valuable it was to be excellent at building out culture. So um, when, you know, kind of doubled down on that as the way that I could provide, you know, unique value in the industry. And so when I left Vivint and got into consulting with door-to-door experts, that was kind of my thing. So I worked really heavily on both new hire experience, rep retention, increasing your per rep average for your team, just kind of that type of stuff that kept people around um, long-term and could make companies unique. Um, culture is really interesting with that where, you know, I'm going back to school now and something we're learning about is how does a business provide a competitive advantage or sustain their competitive advantage? And if you think about it in door to door, our audience for marketing, isn't so much like, uh, the solar customer as much as it is this, as it is the sales rep. So that's kind of my biggest audience is how can I provide the best possible experience for my sales reps? And so a sustained competitive advantage also, you know, usually comes from something that's really socially complex. And so if you can build a really unique and uh, interesting culture that keeps people around, it's something that's very hard for other companies to imitate. So okay. that's going to be kind of the way that you can uh, set your company, you know, yeah. apart from the rest.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I saw Alex first speak actually back at Door-to-DoorCon, was that last year? mm mm-hmm. yeah, Last yep. year, yeah. Yeah, so uh, got a ton of like nuggets from just her talking at Door-to-DoorCon um, and you talked so yeah. A lot of things you just mentioned, like the culture, the competitions, um, how to increase the per rep average, I remember. Um, need to go back and review my notes. But it was super good, super valuable stuff you talked about. Um, and, yeah, in my opinion, I think that's why we need more, like, girl reps in door-to-door is because, I don't know, you've probably seen this by now, but pretty much every successful, you know, door-to-door rep, at least the guys, we all got ADD. We're all super disorganized. <laughs> We're all, you know, taking Adderall, this stuff. <laughs> that's like the door to door culture and everything. So, um, and every, like, most, every girl I see come in and, like, you know, they're on top of it. They want organized things. They just get people online. And yeah, then, matter of fact, that's how it is our company right now. I told you just off um, before we started the interview here, we got someone that used, used to be at Trinity Solar too. Her name's Jeanette. And uh, yeah, she helped us like just dial in like things so much better than what we were doing before. So yeah, um, for those that are looking for, you know, more organization, I would consider looking at, you know, (laughs) bringing in some more girls in your organization because yeah, I think that's kind of the superpowers that a lot of, probably not all girls, but I would say in general, um, they're definitely more organized. Is that fair to say, Alex?
1: Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, That's definitely been, like, a blessing for me. At first, I was, like, kind of bummed being the only girl in my org. It was tougher for me to find mentorship, you know, connect with the male leaders that I was with. It was just, you know, there's just that barrier there. Um, So it was tougher for us to build that relationship. So for a while, it was kind of sad. But then after I realized, you know, just like you mentioned, Taylor, like, so much of my natural skill set or the things that I knew I could double down on to become unique, like, a lot of that was very different than the skill set that my male peers brought to the table. A lot of them were Growing up and having success, like getting into director roles through being really great at sales. And so um, I was fortunate enough to have kind of that mix of doing well enough with sales to really understand what reps are going through. So then when I could come in and build out those systems and provide that structure, it it was uh, very specific to them and helped that out a lot.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So how long were you like in the sales before you got into more like the like management type stuff, organization?
1: Yeah, so I, I knocked for about a year Um, And then took a lot of referrals after that that lasted for a while. And then Mm -hmm. once I moved out of New Jersey into Utah, referral game kind of dried up there. Um, Wasn't working out there quite as much. But, yeah, I still, you know, to this day, I'll go out and knock with our sales reps here and there, make sure I'm spending as much time in the field as I can. I think it's super important to know firsthand what they're going through in order to make sure that, you know, everything we're building is the best it possibly can be to support them and um, keep them here long term. Because everybody wants to find a home in their career. I think oftentimes we think in door to door how like, you know, reps don't stay that long, it's kind of fleeting, it's okay if you lose a lot of people, but I think it's um it's a challenge but to think about it the opposite way where, you know, if I, if I can figure out if I can crack the code on how people can stay long term, I'm actually going to have an org that yeah. connects at a way deeper level, has success at a way deeper level. So, that's yeah. what I'm shooting for.
0: 100%. Yeah, I respect that a ton, like leaders that still want to go out and knock with their teams. As all these top companies, I see all the leaders. As a matter of fact, I just saw a post about a, I think it was Sunrun CEO or something. Shows up. To, I don't know if you saw that, but I she, did. Yeah, yeah, shows up to a meeting, and then they thought they're gonna have a meet and greet after, and she's like, "No, if we're going to the doors. Who am I knocking with?" <laughs> yes. Like, wow. CEO. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. So it's like, I think people really expect respect that, and I've talked with reps from other organizations that don't do that, where their leaders are just coming in, doing trainings, and then heading out. And they're talking about all these things Like, go knock harder, go close more doors and things like that. But I think it's hard to, um, I don't know, maybe take that information sometimes if the reps don't see oh, they're willing to do it themselves. And um, they're going to come out and, like, show me how it's done, even though, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you're not to the level you were before when you're knocking consistently every day. Oh, yeah. This is
1: just here and there. But, I mean, you're so right. Like, even... You know, in the um, times where I've been even recruiting at the manager level, uh, mm. a DM will sometimes say, okay, like I, I'm down to come over and I'll do this, that, and the other thing, but I don't really want to knock anymore. Yeah. And I just think it's, <laughs> it's so silly to think that you can be as effective and be the best person for your people if you don't really know what they're going through and you're not willing to do that with them.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, so when you um, like kind of transition more into the management stuff, more into building out the systems, things like that, was that, were they asking you to do that or were you kind of like, I don't know, is that, was that you more wanting to get into that type of role or how did that transition go?
1: Yeah, I I didn't really know what to expect when I first took the role. I was kind of even in the mentality of, you know, I'll, I'll come on, I'll do this, and I'll keep looking for a job that I want in the meantime. Yeah. Um, but coming in, I, I didn't realize how valuable this question was at the time. I was like 23, but I remember going um, department to department The first couple weeks of my job because my my boss was traveling to all the offices so i'm just sitting around corporate i'm like okay what am i gonna do and i went to all the departments and i said hey i'm alex i'm working with the direct sales team i just wanted to know like how do you interact with them what problems do you run into like how can i make things easier for you guys and kind of like build that um kind of system up and everybody had their own opinions and things and and so not only did it build a ton of relationship equity for me like people kind of talk about playing politics in corporate. I don't think it has to be politics, but you do need to build relationships. So I built up a ton of that equity by um, going out, doing things for other departments, kind of seeing how I could kind of grease the wheel there between their relationship with sales. Yeah. And uh, and because of that, I noticed a ton of holes that needed to be filled, created systems and kind of I, um, different problem solving solutions that I could put into place there. And then I managed it because I put it into place. So As I uh, grew and built more systems under me and things that I was managing, I was able to convince my boss to let me bring on additional people. And that's how I got into management was purely just working my butt off and then figuring out, okay, what problems exist that no one's either thinking about solving or wants to solve and figure out the solution to that and then kind of build out my influence from there.
0: Uh, That's awesome. So it sounds like you're more like super proactive, like, hey, what problems can I help with? What things can be improved? It wasn't like them telling you, oh, go do this, go do this. Oh, my gosh. You went out there and – one hundred kind of recognize it yourself and like suggested them things like that
1: yeah totally and I think that like it, it applies I think no matter what position you're in like anyone that's trying to get into leadership if you can be proactive about figuring out you know what needs to get done that's not getting done what are the holes that you can fill with different solutions um that is the way to kind of stand out and be unique
0: yeah that's yeah that's good point good point point. and so um with team I know this is what you're doing at uh door-to-door experts for a while is helping people kind of help build out these systems and more on the organizational thing, the rep retention, right? Um, what were like some big mistakes that you would see as you like went into a company, I'm sure you like dealt with some pretty disorganized companies and <laughs> maybe some that were a mess and everything. Do you have any, uh, I don't know, cool stories of companies that were a disaster and you helped them turn things around or anything like that?
1: Dude, that's such a good question. Um, Yeah, I'm just thinking through all these examples. I I would say one of the biggest things I noticed was if you're a smaller business or you're like a manager looking to do this for your team, you know, you're not doing it huge scale status yet or anything like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, you don't even realize you're doing it, but you're like trying to imitate a big culture. You're trying to imitate these big players that you admire So it's not coming from a place of like genuine, authentic, like you're trying to do what's in your rep's best interest. You're like building out systems or creating competitions or doing all these things because you think you need to and because you think that's what's going to work. And so it's like, it's this weird, like disconnect, like emotionally between like you and the sales rep. So instead, a big part of it was getting in touch with that company's like identity, like what are the things that they really care about? Who are the people that they're trying to bring on board? Like who really aligns with their core values? And then figuring out how do I build out systems, build out training, uh, build it into my recruiting process, whatever, a way that I'm providing what is best for the best interests of the sales rep. And that will also align with your best interests as a business or a, you know, manager, simply because you're bringing on the right people. So you know you're bringing on the right person if your best interests, and there's a line perfectly because you're bringing somebody into your culture that shares your values.
0: Okay. So it sounds like step one is kind of recognizing what are the core values before anything and then going out and finding people that fit into that. And that's more, would you say that's what, we, what you were helping companies with yeah. as you started working with them?
1: Yep, I would say so because a mistake I made in the beginning was I would – you know, I just, I, I feel like I've got these systems now that could be successful anywhere. So we'd start on the system front and we'd put pl- stuff into place and um, their retention didn't go up. Like the metrics kind of, we were trying to measure, were not really changing. And so if I looked at it, it was like this, yeah, it was just this like false imitation of what we really needed to be providing. So we started a step back and said like, okay, who are the people that we're truly trying to bring on board? Right? Like, and one thing I, um, I was telling you about this earlier, but a little Simon Sinek training I saw okay. that I think is super valuable is uh, he, he was interviewing a leader in Navy SEALs, and he was talking about um, how they choose who they want to bring into their org. And he kind of drew this little graph. So one of the axis was uh, high performance, so low to high performance, and then the other axis was uh, culture or, you know, how good of a human is this person kind of thing. So every company wants someone that falls under that one corner where it's high performance, you know, high high uh, value to the culture. Nobody wants someone that's in the low and low corner. But then um, oftentimes people will choose the high performer that's a bad fit for your culture over the uh, low performer that is a great fit for your culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge thing we do here in Door to Door because we care so much about that production. But this guy kind of defined that person as a toxic team member. So it's someone that comes on board. Um, they might be breaking your rules. They might be kind of going against your core values. And then as a manager or a leader, you're looking at this person. And you're like, dang, I, I really want the production. So you keep them mm-hmm. on board. You make concessions with yourself. You kind of okay. give up some of that identity that you care so much about with your, with your team and what you guys stand for.
0: Yeah.
1: And then you think that that person's either, you know, providing a neutral or a benefit to the team where oftentimes if you put a top performer, that's a bad fit for the culture in place and you prioritize them over your good guys on the team that are yeah. maybe mediocre, you know, you work with that person versus developing them, then you're actually going to detract from the the yeah. overall kind of culture and performance of everyone.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. So how do you know? Because like I'm um, I'm sure you've seen sometimes it's tough to recognize you do one, two interviews and you don't necessarily know how this person is going to work out with the team. So how do you, like, what do you do? Say you bring on someone, they're crushing it, but yeah, they're not fitting into their culture. I don't know. Maybe they're like doing shady stuff or I'm sure you've seen all types of things going on. So like, what do you do with these reps? Do you like, Hey, strike one, strike two, you're out. Or do you like sit down and talk with them? Or do you like, I don't know, if you see they're not a good fit in your culture, do you try to like mold them first or what do you do in these cases?
1: Yeah, I would I would say always like step one, you should be a high enough level person to if you have a high performer, that's not a good fit for your culture. You should be able to control that situation enough to try to mold them into what you need. So oftentimes, you know, someone's um, uh, being, you know, really aggressive or territorial or just kind of this personality that doesn't fit with the group if you first try to level with them and be like hey like i want to provide a space for you to you know move into leadership here make the most money you can whatever that person's goals are i'd kind of align with them there and be like i need you to do me a favor though because you are such a high level influencer on the team because of your production level and like how well you can go out and perform That if you don't come to meetings and you do all these things that are like against the basic rules that I'm trying to hold everybody to and those expectations, it sucks for me as a leader because I have a tough time. Like all these people look up to you, you have all this influence over them. So I need to try to hold you to those same standards. If it's not, you know, just for you coming to the team, because you don't care that much about going to the trainings every day, maybe you don't need them as much, but the rest of the team does. And so you would be doing me a massive, massive favor if you could, you know, follow X, Y, and Z. So whatever those basic expectations are, I try to kind of set it that way. Okay. And oftentimes, if you level with that person and they're like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm just doing something nice for the team," like that usually connects and will resonate with people. Yeah. Um, if they are still not going to be a good fit for the group, I have you know um, consulted people and we've said, "Okay, let's put this person kind of out on an island." Mm. So you know, don't come to the meetings. We're not going to put you on the leaderboard, but you're welcome to come here and sell lights out and kind of do your thing yeah. and work with me. But I can't just put you in with the rest of the team because okay. you're kind of a bad influence on them.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, or worst case scenario too, like I've also um, personally lost people that I thought were high high performer, toxic team member. Um, and I've also had uh, one of my roofing clients actually in Colorado. They lost their top, top person that they were petrified to lose because they finally put some expectations in place like this. Mm. And he left, and they were petrified that the whole team was going to leave. And now they're like 5X the size that they were, like this little training room where they had these influences that kept them from holding their expectations. Um, When I was there, like that was tough for them. So now that person's gone, they're able to hold everyone to a higher standard. The team actually gels a lot better, and so they've only gotten better since then.
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's like cutting the fat off. But, yeah, I think it's that, you know, scarcity mindset people get. They don't want to let go of the golden goose, the thing that's feeding them. So they're afraid to, I don't know, do sometimes what's necessary. Like a lot of times they they probably know they need to do it, right? But they're just like scared to like, oh, I don't want to cut a guy that's closing 10 deals a month, whatever, 10, 20 deals.
1: For sure. So. And if that person leaving allows you to help everybody else in the office get one or two more deals a month, then that kind of covers your 10 or yeah. 20 that you're losing.
0: Yeah. So well, I look at such... it that way. Yeah, no, I like that. I agree for sure. And so another thing I know you've helped a lot of companies with, and you're probably one of your strengths too, is uh, just the rep retention. Um, So does that, would you say that's pretty hand in hand with what we're talking about, like retaining reps, just figuring out the culture first, any other ideas you have on that? Because as you know, solar. I mean, my first company I was with, it's like, you know, trying to pour, uh, Uh, like water in a colander you know you're trying to fill up a colander and the water's just flowing (laughs) out of there and you're constantly just filling it up filling it up every single week like at one point we were recruiting i don't know maybe like five or six reps a week and then we're lucky if one of them like stayed till the next week because we're just like bringing in these guys from you know restaurants zip recruiter indeed all these things so yeah in your opinion alex what's like the biggest um i don't know mistake in retention i know probably a lot of that stuff we just talked about But anything else you would say that helps a lot that you've seen in companies you work with in retention?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I would say um, first off is I think a big mistake we make in the industry is, you know, we put a lot of weight on recruiting. But then mentally people start to kind of check out of the recruiting process once that person gets hired. So as soon as that person shows up to boot camp, you're like, cool, my job is done. This person's here. And that's what we reward people on. We say, oh, he brought in this number of recruits. But what we really care about is that person staying retained. So um, a metric in solar that I got from a previous company just with a ton of data was um, if a rep can get five sales within their first 60 days, they're 80% more likely to stay with that company six months or longer, which is a huge stat for us in our industry, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, knowing that, I mean, there's a million things you can think of to put into place, you know, how, answer the question, how can I get more of my sales reps to hit five sales in 60 days? Mm. There's a lot you can build into place there. But I think a big thing, too, that should be thought of through the recruiting process and kind of as it bleeds into that onboarding in the first couple of weeks mm-hmm. is just kind of the journey that your your recruit is going to have to go through in order to actually stay retained and, like, fully integrate this new job into their life. Yeah. So, for example, let's say you've got um, someone that's working, like, a 9-to-5 job. They're a young parent, young mom or dad. And they've got like a two or three-year-old at home that they put to bed at like 7, 7.30 every night. And that's like their little family time. It totally fits into their current routine. And now you're trying to recruit this person from that lifestyle into door-to-door. Mm. Well, if you're asking that person, you know, you if you're feeling resistance during the recruiting process, you might immediately go to let me throw more money at this person. Let me give them a manager title, like whatever, some of these perks that we can give yeah. versus thinking through, That hesitation is more so based on the changes to their lifestyle that they haven't thought through a solution to yet. So like this person, this example may come into your org and if they plan to, like they've always needed to be home at 730 for bedtime and now you're telling them they need to knock until eight or later every single night, that's Mm going to be a disconnect for you guys. So you could uh, nip that stuff in the butt even during the recruiting process by getting to know that person at a deeper level know what their life is like, know what they care about. And then, um, you know, that could be setting up a schedule where a couple nights a week, you want them out late and a couple nights a week, you're cool with them going home. Yeah. um, Because they get their doors in or they start earlier, like whatever it's got to be. But if you can kind of figure those things out early on and mold some of the process with them, it breaks that barrier down between where they are and them being, you know, fully self-sustaining in this role, making money and, and working with you long term. Yeah. So I think if you can think through solving that, that is going to change the way you recruit, your processes, your onboarding, your incentives, like everything else kind of falls in line.
0: Yeah. Okay. I love that. Yeah, that's a good point. And I'm dealing a little bit with that right now. I mean, the company I'm with now, it's like we have all these young guys that just came, like young hustlers coming from uh, Vivint Alarms and stuff like that. They're all lined up for the summer, and then um yeah i told you before we started recording here that i was running a team of just like 10 15 reps most of us were like married guys just uh i don't know kind of doing our thing had kids stuff like that but now our team's like we have we got 30 guys that they're not married they're off like uh just doing like the single guy stuff and we're trying to kind of like um you know fit into that culture and everything and then uh You know, you get, like, girls coming on the teams, too. So, like, there's all these different, like, people that can come into the organization and from all types of scenarios, different schedules that they're used to. So, um, I don't know. Do you have any, like, tips on, say, you got something like that where it's a bunch of young people and you got some married guys, then you got some girls. I don't know. Is that how your team is right now currently or
1: yeah, yeah, we've got a really good mix over at True. We've got, um, I'd say, probably 30% of our, like, active reps are women, which is cool. Oh,
0: that's true. Um,
1: yeah, we, we have a younger sales force, but we've got plenty of married people with young kids and everything. Um, uh, I mean... I, I think a big a big piece of that is like we've got all these little subcultures within our teams that I've noticed. People okay. that have similar schedules, they're kind of like breaking off and doing some of their own thing. Yeah, okay. Um, you could even incentivize the groups that start to naturally form like that to like do little head-to-head matches. Like you could do some office-level incentives with them on that type of stuff. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, just touching on bringing people into solar from summer programs, I've got like a whole thing that I've been uh, – brewing up with a couple with, you know, Brandon and Parker, a couple of the old experts, but um, we've been talking about a lot, how, how different it is going from a summer program over into solar. And I think for anyone like recruiting from summer programs right now, this is a hurdle that you guys might not be thinking of people in pest control or alarms or something. They're coming from this very regimented schedule. They know what they're doing. Like every hour of the day for the summer, they've got really um, robust training systems because they're trying to, you know, in a summer program, you need to get people, videos, get that stuff figured out. And then they need to be on the doors producing as soon as the summer starts. So they've got this whole system in place. And oftentimes, you know, a lot of us got into solar maybe because you were doing other sales and you love the freedom and things that come with the schedule we can create in solar. Well, if you're a manager that values freedom with your time and you're kind of unstructured and you don't care if people are showing up to the meetings twice a week and stuff like that, and you recruit a group of alarm guys, like what are the chances that that person's going to be successful in this unstructured culture where it's like, no man, you can do whatever you want, like yeah. kind of thing, you know? True. So um, so oftentimes we see that as a perk that we got into this uh, industry for. If you're bringing on summer teams, I would say match what they are familiar with until they know what they're doing, and then you can let off the gas a little bit. Okay, But like put something into place that feels remotely similar to what they've been going through their training and their schedule and their structure and it may not match what you're asking the rest of the team to do but it's going to help those people come on board and get past the learning curve
0: okay yeah Yeah, that's interesting so almost like have them do even though you say you're only meeting twice a week or something so you bring in a group of summer guys so you're saying maybe like meet with them every day and just have them do their same schedule for a while until they start seeing success things like that
1: Oh, totally. Because for us, we might be like, oh, yeah, it's cool. We only do meetings twice a week. Like this, like, less structured lifestyle is what we enjoy. But for someone coming from a really regimented routine in door-to-door, that could give them anxiety. And it could keep them from, like, their routines on how they've learned and their work ethic and their numbers are all based on them being in a regular regimented schedule. So if you mess that up, they may not have the personal, like, wherewithal to just do that themselves because they know that's what they need like they might not even know that so I'd say put those guys in yeah like a a quick 30 minute meeting every day to kind of touch base for the first couple weeks and once you guys once you see them kind of get into their own like groove with solar you can always let up and pull them into the the um, structure that you're holding with the rest of the group but I think that would help with retention like big time
0: for some people yeah no for sure I agree with that because yeah actually that's Yeah, I'm telling you, I'm working with Jason Newby, and that's basically what we're doing right now. Because he comes from Alarms, a bunch of the guys he has on the team are from Vivian Alarms. So right now, yeah, he has a meeting every day. Like used to be 10 a.m., he moved it to 12. But it's like every single day we're having a meeting. We're getting out there, and yeah, I mean the guys are producing. So it's whatever he's doing, working, working, and they were producing a lot more than our team. That was working twice. That was meeting twice a week. I'm like, okay, well something must be working. Oh but yeah.
1: We uh we just finished up our first competition as a company and it was like a 1v1 and our top manager that won the whole thing came from pest control.
0: Right? Really? Yeah, he's uh-huh. just
1: he's got his schedule down, he works harder than everyone else because he knows like the another trap we get into with solar is the commissions are so high right now right. that like it's so tough to push people to actually make them produce what numbers yeah. you want to see on the board yeah. if they've got any type of limiting mindset with money or they don't need that much and they don't think about that type of stuff. So we um, part of our practice when we're bringing people on board is we'll even frame it during the interview process as like yeah. kind of this this problem we want this person to help us solve which is like look you can make very very good money coming in in solar to the point where sometimes it can be tough to make people hit the numbers that we expect out of them every month because you might sell one or two deals and like cover all your bills for the month so you want to relax but how does a person that does two sales a month affect the rest of their team that um, wants to do way more than that could be stretching their personal limits way higher? You know, we've seen people in our industry do 30 plus a month, you know, like that happens all the time. So if you hire a bunch of people and you don't kind of frame it that way first, um, you can get people kind of caught in this like, oh yeah, I'm good doing one or two sales and you've got kind of this mediocre performance. So
0: yeah, no, it's true. I mean, that's the... Yeah, because two, two deals in solar, I mean, especially in California, that's still, like, decent money. Oh, low, great money. Yeah, energy. you might be
1: doing better than <laughs> anyone in your family has ever done, and you're only yeah. selling two accounts. So, like, if you're pulling someone in that's not um, from our industry and they're doing two accounts a month, they think they're winning. You think that they're a, you know, time suck on the rest of your team. So, yeah. you've got to kind of figure out how do you, like, reconcile that early on to make sure that person knows what you expect out of them and can you know, if they've got some limiting mindset there, you're working with them on that. That's kind of another step to helping people stay longer yeah. term is kind of getting them in the frame of mind like, no, I, I may be doing way better than the rest of my family, but doing two deals a month, like I, I could now that I know this skill, I could be doing six, 10, 15, whatever. So i yeah. um, getting people kind of in that number mindset versus the money one is big too.
0: Yeah, no, I would agree. And yeah, I think it's good to bring to that point to bring people from the other industries because like, for me, I, I saw them myself, I was, like, getting lazier and lazier for a while just because we are guys that were just pretty much in pure solar. We weren't bringing in anyone else that had been in, like, pest control alarms. And so we were good with our three, four hours knocking a day and, you know, just closing our maybe two, three deals a week tops. And, yeah, it was good money and everything. But then once I – yeah, recently once we uh did this, like, merger I was telling you about with uh, Jason Newby's team, got all these alarm guys – a lot of them were working on alarm schedule like six seven eight hours of knocking and then yeah. and then they're closing 30 plus deals a week a few of them I'm like whoa like this is possible in solar like <laughs> guys yeah. can do this much so I think it's a yeah I think it's a good idea to be bringing in people that are fresh that don't know that' that don't kind of like have that lazy solar mindset because in my opinion like um, I've seen guys that are coming from di- different industries or guys that are maybe new, Um, a lot of times they're having more success than recruiting from like other solar companies because a lot of these other like no offense to a lot of these companies but they have a lot of lazy reps that are used to closing you know one or one or two deals maybe tops a week so uh yeah i think i like that a lot
1: yeah and that was that was kind of like you know i was fortunate enough to work at some of the bigger companies and pull some lessons from there so whether I'm working with a smaller company, a midsize, whatever, like a big, a big thing has been the pattern with the top performing companies is they expect high performance all the way through their leadership stack. Nice. A lot of times you'll, you know, you could recruit someone into a smaller dealer, um, and they've done well in the past. You want to put them at this really high level. You're either bringing them in as like a DM, maybe a regional, maybe a director. And they're like, cool, I want to come in. This is what I'm going to do. But by the way, I'm not going to knock doors. And if they mm. go that route, like Again, I I saw some of the craziest performance of my life in solar Mm. just being at Vivin and those guys all the way up through the director level, like they could be managing hundreds of reps under them and they're still expecting to hit some of the highest levels of production in the industry. And leading from the front there, like a lot of times we will get into management and you start to get sucked into the, yeah. the reporting and the hiring and firing and territory management and all that other stuff. And you, and you forget how high priority you should be um, putting, actually knocking and showing up for your team. But by far and away, I say the biggest pattern is like you see managers um, able to bring teams on and have them perform at a much higher level if they are leading the charge.
0: Yeah, I agree for sure. And so, yeah, speaking of culture, um, I know that was – you probably uh, learned a ton as you were um, helping, with, like, Vivint Solar's things, and I know that's part of what you talked about at door to Door Con too. Um, but you also mentioned, like, I think you were saying smaller companies shouldn't necessarily try to do all the things that the big dogs are doing, like the Vivint Solar's of the, of the world and all that. So what do you see – like, I don't know, say you're a small company, how should the culture be different, like, in a big company – how much of what they're seeing Vivent Solar and all these companies are having a ton of success. What what should they try and take from that? And I don't know, maybe what are some things that didn't work that you saw that companies were trying to take from these big cultures that were super successful?
1: Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. Um, I think a big one was the way that you're spending your money to build your culture. So I think the two metrics that matter in culture are increasing your rep retention, how long are people staying, how well are they doing, and then the per rep average. So if okay. my reps are producing two sales a month on average, can I get that to a three or four or higher?
0: Okay.
1: And, uh, and so I see companies, you know, especially sometimes I do my like competition training and people get all jacked up about getting into <laughs> doing a competition. Yeah. And um, the way you could spend $10,000 on a competition and have it be the best thing that's ever happened to your business, or you could do it and it could be a total flop. You might not get any extra sales.
0: Yeah.
1: So I think it's, Um, figuring out how to spend your money, not just to like check off all the boxes of like, I've got the fancy things. I've got a competition where someone can like win a razor and all that kind of stuff like this high level stuff. Um, you can spend a lot less money, but gain some of the lessons from that. Like, you know, motivating reps through a competition, for example, um, the way Vivint is going to handle a competition with, um, their, you know, really flashy launch videos, really big flashy prizes, all of that stuff you know, podcasts and video casts on like all of the people that won last year, bringing them on trash talking, like this whole thing. Um, there's a bootstrap version of that that I think can happen, um, for companies at a lower level, but like a lot of what goes into making an amazing competition can just be you hyping it up ahead of time as a manager, you knowing what the rules are and the prizes and like letting your reps know that, um, a month in advance, maybe sometimes more letting them kind of prepare, you know, if I've got a, four or five week competition coming up, um, I would launch it to my sales reps in enough time where they can move, um, obligations that they might have. If someone's got, you know, I'll, I'll roll out my schedule at the beginning of the year. Most companies should do that so that their reps Uh can kind of plan out for sure. Yeah. So if I know, like, I know the main competitions I want to do, and then maybe I'll have like one or two months where it's a little bit light and offices can do their competitions. If I do that, that allows, uh, your sales reps to not have to sacrifice family time for work time. They can plan their family time around the times and the seasons where you're going to do like high-level competitions. Mm, so literally, just scheduling your um, competitions a little bit different like that could double the production you get from one versus spending a crap ton of money on the prizes.
0: Mm, genius! I love that. Yeah, because most yeah you probably see that a lot but like guys roll all right, tomorrow we're doing a competition it's <laughs> yes. like, Yeah. tournament tomorrow start tomorrow get ready yeah and then like so. reps
1: will go like a week without knowing their numbers in it and they're like hey yeah. what's the score and you're like crap i keep forgetting to do that and like I finally you do it and you just like text the numbers into the group chat like it's not even on a graphic or anything so yeah. um so yeah like it, just hyping it ahead of time setting up the rules allowing everyone to clear their schedule um, tracking and hyping up the numbers and what's happening during a competition, like in as lifetime as you can to give them those updates, all of that generates that kind of competitive nature that you're looking to get out of your sales reps. That, in and of itself, is going to help them kind of break past their previous limits and perform way better during competitions. Yeah. Um, but that was one thing I noticed at, at Vivin, and I think this is a cool principle across the board. Mm we did not make significantly more money because of the competitions we put in place. We had pretty big budgets for it. We would see a really big volume pop. um, And then you'd see kind of this dip afterwards as everyone kind of relaxes. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that rise always kind of supersedes the dip that comes after. But even if it does, like the one thing we saw was no matter what happened at the end of a competition, the per rep average is kind of what went up. So we would see sales reps that previously had maybe had their best week of being, four or five sales. Now they're doing 10 plus sales in a week and they didn't even realize that was possible for themselves. So reps are all setting this new personal record with themselves Mm. um, or a new personal record that they now have, you know, manager of the office just did 30 that month. Now they know it's possible. So you're kind of raising the limit in competitions um, to show everyone what they're capable of, which hopefully then you can kind of sustain that afterwards. And that's like, I think that's the target with competition. So how can I, what, what, practices or what way can I structure this competition in a way that's going to allow my sales reps to raise the personal limit they have on the number of sales they think they can do.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's massive. Um, Yeah, but no, it just reminds me of uh, my first company I was with. Um, It seemed like every single competition we had i had like some trip scheduled with my family or whatever that was like scheduled month in advance and they rolled it out like the next week or whatever <laughs> yeah. so i'm like all right well i'm not gonna try that hard because i already know i have the, <laughs> this like trip scheduled <laughs> dude exactly so, that, yeah. so if you can like, like
1: prevent that stuff then it changes everything
0: yeah i know so that's no i think that's a yeah huge takeaway Um, so sweet. And so Alex, um, I know we don't have all day here, but the last thing I kind of wanted to ask, pick your brain about is just with recruiting. Um, you guys said you're, uh, you have a team of what, 110 reps or so right now at true power. Yeah. Okay. And so you did a merger. How many reps did you have? Like when you first started with that merger, Is it stayed the same or have you built the team a lot since you like started the company or merged everything?
1: Yeah. I mean, and I know you're kind of going through this too, uh, merging multiple cultures and systems and everything together, um, has probably been one of the most fun challenges I've had in the industry so far. Um, we're fortunate enough to have a lot of people putting their egos aside to combine leadership. You know, we've got an awesome team. Um, we started out, uh, probably trying to think how many sales reps we had. We, we probably had, a hundred total, but active, I'd say it was probably close to like 60 or 70 okay. um, reps that we had, and we've had some big new hire classes, nice. but, you know, even coming from, this is the area of door to drive decided to become an expert in, um, still retention is tough. Yeah. So we've kind of gone back and forth, you know, we've had big classes, we've lost some people, we've changed our practices a lot. Yeah. So um, yeah, we've been able to, we've been able to grow quite a bit, but by far and away, the biggest thing that's made a difference, I think is establishing some better systems to get like our our mid-level reps um understanding expectations getting support to become better and like figure out how they can kind of level up we uh rolled out a mentor program okay. which i think is big um so that is essentially something brand and i have used in the past with companies that's what i um, kind of
0: a legacy does to right Yes, yeah, similar. So
1: essentially what we wanted to do was, along with that statistic of let's get people to five or more sales within 60 days, Mm -hmm. um, if you are just a loan manager or you're a small company, you might have only one person that can get all of your new hires past that learning curve. Like it's just that one manager. Yeah. So, um, if that's what you're doing, you're kind of limited to only being able to bring on enough people where that person can actually truly give the amount of attention that they need to, to all of their new hires at one time to get them past the curve. So, um, rolling out something like the mentor program, essentially the mentor role is this new, uh, position in leadership where you're not quite a manager yet, but it's kind of the first step towards it. So, um, you can, as long as you're, you know, we've got some performance requirements, but as long as you're a good, uh, kind of conduit of our culture, you understand our process is well enough. Um, This person is now going to be mentor to a new hire coming in as a mentee, and their goal is to get that mentee to five sales in 60 days. Um, So we we do like an incentive. If anyone gets to seven sales, we'll do a a rookie trip for them. So they want to get their mentees to seven sales, and then we also incentivize our mentors for that. So, um, if we have mentees hitting that, they get to go on this trip as mentors get more and more of their reps through to those higher levels, we've kind of gamified it. So we've got like, you know, scoreboards and calls with just our mentors where we can kind of work a hundred percent on focusing on that new rep experience. So that's been like, you know, we, we knew that was a needed to be a focus coming in. We had some big classes. We lost a bunch of people. So now we've really like doubled down on that for the fall.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And, yeah, you mentioned you guys do, like, a boot camp, right? So you bring in, like, a big, like, I guess uh, new class of people, almost like a university class or something, right? Get them all trained a little bit. And how are you, uh, for you guys recruiting, what's your, like, system on recruiting? How are you guys recruiting now in your company?
1: Good question. So um, it's kind of twofold. Brandon Hall, my husband, is our CEO, and he's made his career around becoming an expert in recruiting. So. Um, he's both working on personal recruiting culture within the business, but a big thing too is how can you how can you succeed at bringing in web applicants and um, help them have the same experience you would if they were personal recruits? Yeah. So we all know if we bring in a personal recruit, that person is way more likely to stay than a web applicant. Yeah. A lot of that's just because of the ties they have in the business, the community they feel like they have, like they feel like they know someone that can support them, whether the person that recruited them is good at selling or not. It's just a person they can talk to if they need it. Right. Yeah, for sure. um, so just having some of those elements. So that's kind of why that's another reason we put the mentor program into place was like, You can bring on a ton of web applicants. Anyone can figure out how to crack the code on Indeed and get enough resumes coming through. It's really a numbers game there. Um, But, you know, there's plenty of tactics we do in our interviews to make sure people have their mindset shaped into. um, I I know what to expect. This is a very legitimate company. I don't want to let them down a lot of times we'll go into uh, people in our industry will go into interviews and you sound like you are recruiting for an MLM. (laughs) It's just like, you're going to do so great, bro. Like you're going to kill it. Like, I know you're going to make over six figures this year. Like I can't wait to be there for it. Blah, blah, blah. So you do that. And then someone's coming on board like, dang, like that guy would have hired probably anyone with a pulse. So (laughs) let's see how this first day goes. So if you have someone with that mentality coming in versus Holy crap, I'm so lucky to have this opportunity. I do not want to let this company down. Like, I'm going to come in here and kill it. Just yeah. that mentality going into boot camp is totally different. Yeah. So we, we definitely shape our interviews around people having that mentality kind of coming out of it and into our boot camp. Yeah. And then we just make sure that we are providing the experience that they would get as if they were a personal recruit. So that's where they get nice. their mentor they meet that person before they come on board. Um, so, you know, first time they walk into a correlation room, they already know at least that one person is going to come over and chat with them and sit with them and stuff. Okay. So it's just all those little things to help someone feel like they're um, integrating into your team's culture quicker. If you have someone that's kind of out on an island because you don't have the time to help them as a manager, yeah. no one else can come in and shadow them, like, I think, that, you know, that can be a, a big uh, – the, the first week is so important for new hires if you are giving them, like – polos that are two sizes too big and have yeah. a stain on it because you took it from a rep that left yeah. and like you don't have a badge prepared for them and then you're like hey Frank can you uh can you have this new guy shadow you and he's like no dude sorry like uh, I was gonna go do go this deal, this do and it, this. Yeah. yeah he like isn't gonna do it and then you're like crap uh Will what about you can you shadow this guy and everyone's like no man sorry I can't do it like now you're stuck with this rep that like dude, like how am I yeah. going to get trained here? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so it's just having those little things organized ahead of time can make okay. such a big difference for your new hires.
0: Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> that's what happens all the time.
1: Oh yeah. Like, you know, when you, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had like a new hire come into your bootcamp, like wearing like a three piece suit or anything, yeah. but I've totally had that. And you're like, dude, that's my bad. Like, I did not. I should have told you that you don't wear that to the first day, <laughs> that's but it's moments like that where someone walks in and they're like, I'm in the wrong place. I don't know what I'm doing here. And it's like that mind, like that little mental story. They start to tell themselves, if you can keep that from happening, keep them on the positive, even with those little, little things, it makes such a big difference.
0: I know. Yeah, there's, it's funny. I've been with previous companies too, where they bring in these Indeed recruits and they're like, they have an interview and everything and they show up to the meeting. They're like, oh wait, this is door knocking. We have to knock (laughs) doors. It's like, uh, yeah. They don't tell you that in the interview. I go, no, I guess I'll come try it. (laughs) Yeah. And, and it's such so. an art
1: to talking about door knocking in interviews um, because, you know, some companies like the mentality of they'll just be like, yo, this is door to door. Are you cool with that? And then they'll scare away anyone that isn't OK with it. And then anyone that is like yeah. perfect. I've weeded out the week kind of thing. Yeah, I think that mentality, you're losing a ton of people that could be open to it just because door to door kind of carries a negative connotation. If you don't understand our industry. Right. Um, But if you are talking through parts of the job where like, you know, we're super picky with who we bring on board and we care a lot about making sure this person's aligned with our culture and our business and what we're trying to accomplish here. And, you know, you and most of the rest of the team, you guys are going to spend a lot of your time outdoors. Uh, You're going to be out in neighborhoods because we need to make sure people are qualified for solar. So that means you need to See what their roof looks like. See what their house looks like. Make sure they've got the right meter. There's all of these in-person elements to it. So you're going to be outside dealing with homeowners kind of like that on a daily basis. So, you know, that being said, um, do you have any problems with like extreme weather or whatever? You good being outside in the rain. And then you basically just said it's door to door. You're going to be out in neighborhoods. You're talking to homeowners. You're in person, blah, blah, blah. You're qualifying them, right? But you didn't say the phrase door to door to start the pitch. So then people are like, no, no, I'm totally cool with that. Like, oh, I love the heat. or I love the cold. Like, whatever. They'll yeah. say these things to convince you. Like, no, no, please hire me. Like, I'm still done. I want to work with you. Nice. So they're convincing you to hire them in that instance. And then later on, like, as you you can keep talking, you know, day in the life and get into how it's door-to-door and talk about your culture. Yeah. Now it's a little bit less of a blow, right? Like, if you just yeah, come out true. and you're like, hey, this is a door-to-door position. Are you cool with that? You're going to weed out a lot of people that would have said no in that instance, but could have said yes if you framed it a little bit differently.
0: Yeah, that's true. It's almost like in California how you can't really start at the door saying I'm, sell- I'm selling solar because <laughs> you just get the door Exactly. Hand. You would like snake your way around at first, get them to buy into that they want to save money on energy and all that. And then how we do that is solar. Exactly. <laughs> like, similar thing. Well, that's awesome, Alex. Um, no, some great ideas you've given us today. And for our for our listeners, kind of last question I wanted to ask you before we wrap up here, um, all, a lot of small companies, they don't really have this role of someone like you that's, like, super great at organizing, that's helping all put all these systems together and things like that. We didn't get one until pretty recent, actually, in our company. It's helped a ton. So how do you suggest people that's – because traditional door-to-door is just, like, I don't know, like manager, the sales reps a lot of times, and then company owner – so what would you suggest to people that are maybe like struggling with all this management stuff and setting up the systems and they're hearing all these things right now? And like, oh, dang, how do I like, bring someone on to like, implement all this, all these ideas Alex has given us, all this uh, fire she's spitting? How do we implement these things? So what would you say to those companies that want to like have help with getting someone that's more organized like that?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, I guess there's a couple ways you could do it depending on your circumstance, I'd say um, you could bring in someone that either has experience on the doors and is just not doing well in your company. Similar, you know, I had the opportunity to, I was about to leave. I was able to take this opportunity instead. Um, you could pull someone in. You could even hire, I mean, a lot of this could be an hourly type of role, but like I would say the first first position, which would totally pay for itself, is bringing someone in to work on like new hire experience help the recruiting process flow into the onboarding, help that person get to their first sale. So um you could hire someone for that role and have that really be your focus. And then you will again have that person pay for themselves many times over. Yeah. So then that new cash flow can kind of help you build out that little department if you want. Um, or I would kind of split it up amongst your management. So Even if you didn't have anybody focusing on this system um, and you just had, you know, a manager that was really focused on the interviewing process and the training, like boot camp type of training, and then you assigned yourself one or two mentors within your org that were going to help out with this new hire experience, I think that is really the most important. So you could... um, you know, I'd say first step if you don't have any other leaders is identify people in your org that you would want to pull into a mentorship type of position. You okay. don't need to give up any override or anything. This is just they can be incentivized based on just getting a little portion of those first few sales okay. um, and kind of gamifying that. So I'd bring in your mentors and then I would start to implement some of the the little systems. Like a lot of this isn't super time consuming. You're probably already doing interviews. You might just need to change the way you're interviewing. You yeah. are probably already doing a boot camp and already trying to get them out to shadow. You just could tweak the way that you're running that system a little bit. So you're spending the same amount of time. You're just doing everything a little bit better.
0: Yeah, it's huge. So yeah, for all our listeners, definitely consider bringing on someone like that. Um, if you're like a lot of company owners, um, if you're like myself, a lot of us are super disorganized and we need someone like Alex. I wish we could just clone Alex like 50 times <laughs> and send her to every company, but you can't. So listen to this podcast and then get someone to help you with that, I think is a huge key to growing and uh, retention like Alex was talking about. So Alex, before we say goodbye here, where can people connect with you? And um, I don't know, say what's up and thank you for coming on the show and reach out and all that.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So my Instagram handle is I am Alexandra Hall. So you can find me on there. Um, We've got a little women's page too called Soul Sisters. So you can find that on Instagram too. It's SOL, short for soliciting. Nice. It's kind of my little, uh, girls group. We're getting off the ground. Cool. And then, um, I, you know, feel free to reach out, um, Instagram, DMs, what have you, however you guys can find me, um, for the right circumstances. I take on a couple mentees here and there, a couple consulting clients. So if it's the right circumstances, I'm happy to help, but oh, yeah, feel free to awesome. reach out.
0: Love it. So reach out to Alex, let her know you're grateful for her coming on the show today. And we had, uh, on recently kind of talking about like the women's side of things, but that's something that I guess I kind of forgot to bring up. Last last kind of tip you have with that, Alex. What's what you guys said you have thirty uh, percent, like female in your company right now? 30% yeah. female reps. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, we've got quite a few, and I think a big, uh, two big contributors. Number one is our male leadership um, has been very open to it. Like they. Are willing to do what it takes. They want to bring on more women. They see women having success in the industry. Um, so them just like, even before I was working directly with them, they were reaching out to me while I was at D2D Experts asking, you know, how, how can we provide a better culture for them? Like, what do we need to do to provide the best environment? And then I think the second piece of it is how you build that environment. So uh, we are already shifting. Like it is happening in every company right now where we're shifting away from, just caring about maybe stronger masculine traits in the workplace. And we care a little bit more about some things that are traditionally feminine. We care more about good communication between people, being capable of like uh, understanding, controlling, sharing your emotions, like emotional intelligence, um, having empathy for your coworkers. Like all of those things are kind of more traditionally feminine traits, like healthy feminine traits. Um, Workplaces are already going towards that. So I think Something that we're doing is figuring out how do we just integrate these two things into a great balance that's healthy for everybody versus, you know, some things I've seen with um, more of kind of this feminist movement is like, screw the patriarchy, like it's us versus them. And like that anger is never going to get anybody anywhere. Um, So I don't think it's not don't completely like, you know, change everything you're doing to just bring on this little girl group and have them be totally separate, figure out how can you change the way that you guys are handling your day to day in a way that kind of recognizes and rewards healthy traits on kind of both sides of the fence so that you've got that good balanced culture and you're building that environment. That's great for everybody.
0: Yeah, love it. So uh, Alex, thanks again for all the uh, tips you shared with us today. Um, Go hit her up. Let her know you think you uh, are thankful for her coming on the show. And uh, yeah, let us know if there's anything we can do for you, Alex. But uh, thanks again for coming today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: Okay, we'll talk soon. Hey, Solarpreneurs, quick question. What if you could surround yourself with the industry's top performing sales pros, marketers, and CEOs and learn from their experience and wisdom in less than 20 minutes a day? For the last three years, I've been placed in the fortunate position to interview dozens of elite level solar professionals and learn exactly what they do behind closed doors to build their solar careers to an all star level. That's why I want to make a truly special announcement about the new learning community exclusively for solar professionals to learn, compete, and win with top performers in the industry. And it's called Soul Society. This learning community was designed from the ground up to level the playing field and give Solar Pros access to proven mentors who want to give back to this community and help you or your team to be held accountable by the industry's brightest minds for, are you ready for it, less than $3.45 a day. Currently, Soul Society is open <laughs> launched and ready to be enrolled so go to soulciety.co to learn more and join the learning experience now this is exclusively for solopreneur listeners so be sure to go to SoulSociety.co and join we'll see you on the inside